Good morning, everyone. I want to give you a, another welcome to First Presbyterian Church. My name is Todd Robinson. I'm a pastor here uh, at this church, and it's uh, a pleasure that I have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. And We'll be doing that in the book of Psalms. We'll actually be looking at two Psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. You can find those in your copy of God's Word, but we also have it in the bulletin for you if that's better for you. Before I read, let's ask the Lord for help. Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that without you, without the Spirit, we cannot taste and see that the Word is true and good and offers everlasting life. So I pray that you would send the Spirit upon us this morning, that we would see your Word and see the everlasting life that is contained in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll begin with Psalm 42, and we'll just read right through till the end of Psalm 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival." Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Thus ends the reading of God's word. 
In a well-known book called The Catcher in the Rye, if you hadn't had an opportunity to read it, a uh, quick synopsis, there's this boy named Holden Caulfield. He's a teenager, he's li- living at a boarding school post-World War II, and it's quite a unique book, in my opinion at least, because it, it, it deals more with what is going on with him internally as opposed to the, the things around him. Most of the book is really just an inner dialogue of his mind and what's going, around, going on uh, in him. And he, he really focuses on what he calls the phonies around him. Uh, Holden looks around and he sees that no one is real. They're all just pretending, and so therefore he's not going to be real with them either. Everywhere he looks, he feels like there's no one to share the pain and the angst that he is feeling. He feels forgotten by those who are supposed to care for him. He feels hopeless, and that's rather how the book ends. Now, Psalms 42 and 43 uh, similarly present to you a dialogue between a man and his soul. The psalmist feels alone and forgotten by God. Now, before we, we hop into it, you notice when we're reading Psalm 42 and 43 that there's a lot of similar phrasing. So we, we infer that the same author of Psalm 42 is the same author of Psalm 43, or at least they were meant to be read together. So when I say the psalmist for, I mean for Psalm, the author of the Psalms for 42 and 43. Now, you see in the psalm that there are those around him using his despair to taunt him, which is causing even more despair. But what, what the interesting thing you see in this psalm is in the midst of all this despair, there's praise and hope in God. Why is that? What's the, we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of this time answering that question. How can the psalmist be both depressed and hopeful at the same time? And the answer is because for the Christian, we weep, but we do not weep without hope. Therefore, we're, we're called to put our hope in God because he is present in the darkness and he's also present in eternity. So our first point, to put our trust and our hope in God because he's present in the darkness. So Jesus knows what it's like to be cast down, as the psalmist says, and he promises to be with you while you're cast down. What we see in Psalm 42 is really, it's really two laments, and they're each kind of followed by the same refrain that we see in verses 5 and 11. Now, in this first lament, uh, in verses 1 to 4, we see that the psalmist says his soul thirsts for God like a deer pants for flowing streams. I don't know if y'all felt that thirsty before. I I was helping campus clubs with soccer camp this week, 
And I feel like I got a little bit of a taste of what that felt like because it was hot. However, for the psalmist, he finds no relief. He cannot find God, though he thirsts for him. His thirst goes unquenched. He's in a spiritual desert. Can that describe any of you this morning, being in a spiritual desert? Moving on in verse 3 and in verse 10, we see the psalmist being mocked by his enemies. His enemies are asking, so where is your God? Now, we're not 100% sure the time in which this psalm was written. We don't have the luxury of the historical context, you know, that some psalms give you. However, based on the content, it's very likely that this was written during the exile or very soon after the exile of the Israelites. So likely these enemies were the very ones who exiled the Israelites from the promised land. And many Israelites felt like God had abandoned them. They've read the stories of old, of all the great wonders that God had done. You know, thinking of just the uh, being set free from Egypt, the most powerful nation in the known world. A group of slaves were able to break free. Through all uh, insurmountable odds, God has always seen through and been faithful to his people. But now, the Israelites are exiled. And they feel like, has God failed? Has God forgotten about us? Or just abandoned us? That's the question in the psalmist's heart right now. Makes me think of the movie Castaway. If you're not familiar with the movie, there's this gentleman, he's in a plane, the plane crashes, he gets stuck on an island, and really the whole movie is him trying to work to survive on this island. And at the beginning, you know, he's creating these big fires to make smoke, he's laying out rocks to spell words out so like planes or whatnot can find him. But then it gets to a point where it's been days, where it's been weeks, and it kind of hits him. Nobody's coming for me anymore. Nobody's looking for me. If I'm going to get off this island, I have to get off this island. He feels feels, uh, abandoned in that moment. It's It's a level of despair where he even considers if life is even worth fighting for anymore. That's That's a picture into what the Israelites must have felt like during the exile. In the pit of their stomach, they feel as if God has abandoned them. Can that describe any of y'all this morning? Now, the psalmist tries to rekindle optimism by remembering the good times with God. We see that in verse 4, how... He would go through the throng, and he remembers these joyous celebrations uh, with other people in the temple of God. And then in verse 6, he remembers just the flowing streams that were in the promised land, in the land of Jordan and Mount Harmon. But those dreams quickly run dry. Because nostalgia, though nice, only temporarily distracts us 
from reality. You know, the good old days are no real comfort in the midst of present suffering. He's struggling. The psalmist here is, is struggling with this feeling of present suffering. He feels as if he's alone. And worst of all, it seems like nobody cares. Can that describe any of you this morning? His refrain that we see three times in these two psalms reflects this feeling of loneliness. Allow me to read verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He insists on hoping in God because he's a salvation. But he's struggling. In some sense, the hope seems a little forced. He's struggling with what he knows to be true, that God loves us, that God is with us, that God will never leave us. But he's comparing that to what he's experiencing right now, that he doesn't see God anywhere. He's looking for God but can't find him. Has God left me? That is the internal struggle that the psalmist is going through right now, what he knows to be true and what he's truly experiencing. You know, he says he's, he's cast down, which that word in, in, the, in the Hebrew literally means to be dissolving away. He's in such a pit of despair that he feels like he is dissolving away. It makes me think of, you know, whether you pour, uh, when you pour uh, sugar into water, for example. If you do it, you know, you pour it in there and you see it, but it never makes it to the bottom, does it? Because it dissolves away. That's what the psalmist feels like. He feels like he is, he is withering away from the inside. Interestingly, Jesus uses this same word too in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And that leads us to the big idea that Jesus knows what it's like to be cast down, to feel like you're dissolving away, to be in a spiritual desert, to be abandoned, to feel insignificant in suffering. Those things describe Jesus. You know, think about it. He was considered a heretic to the religious elite, you know, the ones that went to seminary, looked at him and said, nope, you're not the guy. You're, you're actually the opposite of the guy. You're probably possessed by a demon, uh, what they say in, in Mark chapter 3. And to the Romans, he was considered a political threat. And in the midst of all that, when he needed his friends the most, when he needed the disciples the most. One of them betrayed him, and the rest of them got out of town. They fled. They were nowhere to be found. Most of all, while Jesus was on the cross, he was separated from God. He cries out in Matthew, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The son who has been in 
perfect, eternal fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit was suddenly ripped apart from that relationship. He thirsted for God, but felt forsaken. I'd imagine the pain of that separation was probably worse than what any nail did to his hands or feet. Because Jesus on the cross was plunged into wrath and despair for your sins. And the good news is that if you believe in him, you'll actually never experience a darkness that grim. Because Christ experienced it on your behalf. So there, it, the Christians, we will undoubtedly suffer in this life, but know that the suffering is not because God is punishing you. There is, you will never know what it's like to experience God's wrath because Jesus paid it all. So we know the suffering in our life isn't because God is mad at us or he's punishing us. But instead, we see that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our suffering, that Jesus sees you in those darkest places. And he promises to be with you in the midst of it. Jesus, at the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't know about you, when I read that, it kinda, you kind of have to like stop for a second, because I feel like Generally, we kind of pity those who are mourning. You know, in some sense, we actually kind of try to avoid them because we don't want to step into it. But here Jesus says, the ones who mourn ought to be envied. That's interesting. They're, they're to be envied because they are comforted. This is, this is a great secret to, to perseverance in the midst of suffering. It's, the secret isn't to, you know, you just brush it off. You just say it's fine. It's fine. And it's not, the secret isn't to just be better. If I just do more, if I just try harder, then maybe, maybe we'll get out of this. The secret is that when you, you acknowledge your weakness and spiritual poverty, Christ freely offers you strength and abundant spiritual riches. That's how those who face oftentimes unimaginable suffering show great courage because they know Christ is with them. We confessed that this morning by reading Romans 5 that the suffering produces uh, character and perseverance and hope. Those who suffer can know that hoping in Christ will not put them to shame. Because God has given us his love through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we know that God loves us. Because it was even while we were still sinners, he died for us. Not when we had our life put together. Not when all our affairs were in order. When we were willingly in the darkness, Christ died for you. Those who, on the other hand, seek comfort through self-gratification. 
who believe they can manage their suffering as a result don't mourn. And usually you get two extremes for those, for those who are trying to do that. You either get someone who's overly self-righteous because they, they falsely believe they're, they're actually doing it. They're actually overcoming evil and the darkness in this world. But then you get some on the other end of the spectrum who are, who are in despair, who are bitter because they realize the vanity of over, even trying to overcome our fallenness. But what the scriptures call you to do, Christian, is to go to Jesus in the midst of suffering because Jesus being present in your darkness can give you hope. Not because he's going to solve everything in the present, but because his presence reminds you of what he has done in the past, dying on the cross from your sins, and what he promises to do in the future. Which leads us to our, our second point, presence in eternity. We can put our hope in God because he is present in our eternity. And here's a great truth that we need to be reminded of more often. That God will one day put an end to suffering. God will one day put an end to suffering. Suffering for the Christian is actually temporary. What we get to experience for eternity is God's love. We get a taste of that in this life. And it points us to the eternity that we have uh, in God's presence in fullness of joy for all eternity. But for today, there is suffering. For today, there is heartache and failure. And what makes Jesus' presence today comforting is not the fact that he's just there, though that, that is nice. It's always nice to have someone. But what his presence is really what his presence assures you of, which is the ending of darkness and suffering forever. We see that in Psalm 43. The psalmist transitions from speaking to himself to praying to God. The psalmist calls God his refuge in verse 2 and asks him to send out his light and truth. So what's the best counter to darkness? Light. This, this makes me think of, I have three little children. They're all under the age of four. And when we put them down at night, the one thing they need to make sure they'll have a, a peaceful night is what? A nightlight. And the funny thing about this nightlight, it's not that bright. Like, it hardly shines on them. But, but just having a little bit of light is enough to bring them comfort that they'll make it through the night. Which is funny. You know, it, gets so, it doesn't get dark till 8.30, so I kind of just want to be like, it's still light outside. But they still need the nightlight. And, and in, the, in the same way for us, when we're in... We're in, when we're in the midst of darkness, it's so easy to feel alone because we feel like we can't see anything. We can't see past whatever we're going through in this moment. But what God brings to you in your life is light. 
It says that in 1 John that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And more than that, not only does he bring you light, he brings you Jesus who knows the way through darkness because he walked it before you and walks with you and guides you in the midst of darkness. What's interesting here is the psalmist, furthermore, wasn't scared to bring to God the darkest parts of his soul. You know, these are pretty big questions. He's asking God, why have you rejected me? Why do I keep on mourning while my oppressors are celebrating? Those are some big questions. Uh, And the psalmist wasn't afraid to bring those to God, and I think neither should you. Neither should you, particularly because we, because we have been set free from sin. You know, God isn't just God to us. He's our Father. And we can go to our fathers with our burdens, with our questions, with our doubts. God's not afraid of those. And so I think we should go, uh, we should go to God more uh, with the things that trouble us. Now, what we notice in in people generally, this is to overgeneralize slightly, uh, is two things. People want to be known, and people want to be loved. People want to be known, and people want to be loved. However, that creates a problem, yeah? Because we, we sort of internalize, if people really knew me, people really knew me, whatever your skeletons in your closet are, whatever... Uh, those thoughts you want to keep to yourself are, we see that side of us and we think to ourselves, if someone really knew me, there's no way they could ever love me. So what do we do? We take what we think is undesirable and we hide that and then we we create a, a facade of what we think people will accept what we think people want to love. However, the, the problem with that is that if people, let's say people do love and accept this facade you've created, well, then it feels fake because you know, well, they don't really love me. They just love the me I've presented to people. They don't really know the real you. This reminds me of Uh, I've never been in a mascot suit, but, you know, you you go to Disney World, and, you know, you got the Mickey Mouses. Well, I suppose they just have one in the park. But Daffy Duck, you know, so on and so forth. And kids are so excited to see Mickey Mouse. And I'm always curious, what's it like to be behind the mask, if you will? Because these people are so excited to see you, but they're not really excited to see you. They're excited to see Mickey Mouse. So they're kind of going through their day, like receiving all this affection, but knowing it's not for them at all. That's got to be really interesting. Uh, I tried to find something online about it. Couldn't find anything, but if you know someone, they want to share that with me. I'm really curious. Uh, That's how we structure our lives sometimes. We create this costume, this facade that we think people will love, but the problem is... If that's what they love, they don't really love us. Now, God didn't make you the way he did so that you could pretend 
to be someone else. One thing I have to remind myself and remind the youth students is God didn't mess up when he made you and how he made you. That was on purpose. And God actually wants you uh, in the freedom in Christ uh, to be yourself and to actually serve the church and the world through those gifts. You know, if we were all the same person, uh, we could probably do one thing really good, but we couldn't do uh, many things would be left undone. Uh, as, as the people, uh, the, the church staff know, I'm not very good at anything artistic if it comes to drawing something. And I'm very thankful I have people who work around me who are very, very good at that. Because uh, probably no one would show up to my things if I just, I, I would just want to write it in like a text document. I'm like, I gave you information. What else do you want? Um, but people can take those ideas and make them beautiful. We, we, God gives us each different gifts, different skills that we can actually use together uh, and actually create something really beautiful. And to bring it back, Jesus knows what it's like uh, to be in the darkness. Uh, he sees through the facade. He knows the good the bad, and the ugly in you. But God thought you were so lovely that you were worth saving, that even when you were enemies of God, he died to reconcile you to himself. So we ought to take our darkness to him because he's already died for it. He's already defeated it through the light of the world in Christ Jesus. Now what we see is the psalmist is so confident in God's deliverance that in verse 4, he goes from a, a, a sad remembrance of the temple in Psalm 42 to a future expectation of being there again, which is quite striking. Uh, from a sad remembrance to a future expectation of being there again. But then what's the next verse? We see it in verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He still says he's cast down and in turmoil. The situation of him being in exile and being taunted by his enemies hasn't changed. He's still in dire circumstances. So what has changed between Psalms 42 and Psalms 43? I, I believe it's the direction of his hope. He stopped looking at himself. He stopped looking across the world for nostalgia and relief. And he started looking up at Jesus, who on this very day, today, he sits on his throne and he is reigning and has authority over all the heavens and all the earth. The very one who put an end to all your sin and the very one who will put an end to all darkness when he returns. 
Too many times I feel like at the first sight of darkness, uh, we often flee to the world's answers. Uh, And, you know, we we could go down the laundry list of what those are, money, power, comfort, uh, acclaim. And behind all those is kind of this presumption that we can control our circumstances. If I just work a little longer, if I just try a little harder, if I just fix this little part in my life, then everything will be made right. Now, I haven't been on this earth for too long, but I have figured out usually the minute you think you solved a circumstance or an issue that somehow created more issues, you know, you think you got one down and then, you know, two more pop up. Uh, I think of it as like, you know, they say not to pull a gray hair. You pull a gray hair and two more pop out. That's what they they told me not to do that. Uh, I feel like us trying to control 100% control our world, our circumstances, feels like that. It feels vain. Though we do have some control in our circumstances, there is a lot in our life we just have no control over. That no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, some things uh, are going to go awry. There is going to be suffering. And if the direction of your hope is in yourself, or in this world, then you'll never find the peace that you're chasing. You'll get to the top of the mountain only to see that there is a higher mountain in the distance. It's never ending. It's exhausting. So therefore, God is the only one worth putting your hope in. We ought to put our hope in Christ who was in the beginning. We ought to put our hope in Christ who experienced the full wrath of God so that you won't ever have to. We ought to put our hope in Christ who became darkness so that you might live in his light. We ought to put our hope in Christ who conquered that darkness in his resurrection We ought to put our hope in Christ who will return and put an end to darkness once and for all. If you put your hope in this world, you'll pass away with it. But if you put your hope in Christ, he'll be with you in this life and the everlasting life to come. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that too often we chase the vain dreams of this world, longing for peace uh, and, Lord, always coming up empty. Lord, give us your presence, particularly in the midst of suffering. May your presence be a reminder to us the great love for which you have for us and that you're the one in control. And by your good and merciful will, you call us uh, into your eternal home one day. But Lord, give us patience while we wait. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.